exciting show today as we welcome our first male guest to the Thriving Equine Professional. I am so excited to sit down with Alex Riddle and talk about his journey into animal health after not wanting to be a part of the equine industry. Let's grow. Welcome to the Thriving Equine Professional, the podcast to grow you. Are you wondering how to make connections to build your career in the equine industry? Not sure where to look for the support you'll need to land a dream job? Maybe you're feeling frustrated or stuck where you are. Hey, I'm Jody. I was that girl with no clue how to navigate landing a great career in animal health, but I knew this is where I wanted to be. I look back and cannot believe the roles I've landed and the people I call friends. Inside this podcast, you will meet key connections, build your career confidence, and find the advice you may not know you need. So if you're ready to grow your career and thrive in a job that you are passionate about, you're in the right place. Get the ponies fed and fill those water buckets. It's time to grow, girl. Welcome back, Thrivers. It is another exciting Thursday guest interview. And gosh, we've got a couple of firsts today. So Alex Riddle, I am so excited to have you on the Thriving Equine Professional. And I just have to say, you are our first guy. I think that's just a really exciting honor. And I I knew this on purpose that you were when I was finally ready to bring a dude on the thriving equine professional. And I mean, not that I'm super biased, but you know, like I love to tell the story of my fellow Shiras. And um, so here you are, you are the first guest of the male species. I don't know what that says about me that I'm like a happy <laughs> medium or like an easy transition in, but no, I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Obviously love, love you and love what you're doing and excited to be on with you and get to spend some more time with you. So. Yes, we never spend enough time, especially now that, you know, I bounce in and out of Kentucky a little bit more than I I did for the last decade. But I always love to start, Alex, by telling the story. And, you know, I've had so many guests over this past almost year now, right, as I've been doing this, that some of them have been long time and others of them have been very short time. But for you, I literally started at Zoetis and you were one of the first connections. And so I walk back to that 2013 when, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was in over my head, didn't really know anything about the pharmaceutical side of the business. I had come from feed. And for some reason, you know, our friend Laura Prim decided that she was going to take a chance on me and hire me as the equine specialist in central Kentucky. And by that time, you were at Rudin Riddle. And so I do want to get into that story, but really what that means for our listeners is that you and I have spent so much time together over this past decade in this crazy equine industry. And I don't know about you, but really for me, my respect for you has just continued to grow and grow and grow. I feel like we have some of the most productive conversations about where this industry was, where this industry is, where this industry is going. And we have a unique passion for the people who want to be a part of it and the people who are a part of it. 
And those are some of the reasons, Alex, that I did want to have you on because I so admire your business mind, your vision for our industry and for what you're doing. Uh, and, and we'll get to some of your vision even outside of the equine industry. But I do consider you to be very visionary. You bring fresh ideas, you have creative ideas, and that I think is worth celebrating. So that was a lot to say, but let's start with your story and how people can learn so much about, you know, the ways that you have uh, looked at and operated and grown your career. So thank you. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of high praise. And uh, as you know, it means a lot coming from you. And I think one of the things that I appreciate about you, and I think that we have in common is that we do say to each other what we think uh, about each other. And I think you've always been very upfront about uh, the things that you respect and things that you think I can improve on. And, uh, and I think not me. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think the same thing goes for you. I mean, I think you're the best to ever do it. Um, I think stepping in and trying to, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to this, but trying to follow you in a role was one of the most intimidating things that I've ever done. So I think the, the respect is certainly mutual and, and uh, yeah, I always enjoy our conversations, all, even all the way back to when neither one of us knew what we were doing and still feel like sometimes we don't. So amen. I do too. Right. And maybe sometimes more so, you know, sometimes more so. So let's do start at the beginning, though, because early on, you and I had, you know, this common, very non equine industry related commonality. And that's that we both had been to Haiti. And mm -hmm. so I had been on a mission trip, and so mine was fairly short-lived, but it changed me. It changed my life, my time spent in Haiti. And so you had also recently been in Haiti. So let's start there, Alex. You are you know, from Versailles, Kentucky, born and raised. We'll get to the family side of that, but let's start with Haiti. Yeah, no, I, I, it's a fun place to start, right? I think so. Similarly, right, went down on a on a mission trip, and it was a really good time in my life to go. I I was playing college football. I had just blown out my shoulder and been told that I was not going to make it back, and so was a little bit listless uh, and had uh, was letting grades suffer and wasn't really excited about going to college anymore. And had a, a teacher from my high school reach out and he was leading a trip uh, to Haiti for the summer and needed a, needed a chaperone to come down and ask if I would be interested. And the timing worked out really well. And it was, it was like you said, a life changing 10 days. Uh, and it, uh, it was, yeah, I think it's hard to go down there and not be changed if you're open to it. Right. And I think at that time in my life, I was more open to it than probably ever before or ever again. And I made a commitment while I was down there that I was going to come back and do a summer internship and spend a whole summer uh, at the mission that we had gone to. Uh, and so the next year I did a summer internship there and um, picked up on a lot of Haitian Creole while I was there and just really fell in love with the culture and fell in love with life outside the mission. I think that's one of the things that I would recommend to anybody who goes down there, probably not on your first trip, but definitely get outside the walls and and go learn how people actually are in their real lives, right? We all put on faces when we're around strangers. 
and especially in Haiti, when they would walk into the mission doors, they, I think, had to felt like they had to play somewhat of a character to make sure they got all the services or uh, whatever. And then I think when you got outside the walls and, you know, went and had a drink with somebody or, or uh, ate Haitian street beef with somebody, you know, like when, when you get out into the world, you uh, you get to know who people really are. And I think that's what that that summer kind of gave me and then going from there got hired by a company that wanted to send me back down after the earthquake and work in coffee and then in hot pepper extracts and um working with consumer products down there and that was really it was a rapid crash course in business for me and i yeah. loved everything of it right so i was 20 years old and i was getting to make decisions that impacted people's lives and uh really got to see outside of just the small steps of how something gets done i got to see from start to finish right this is where the coffee is grown all the way up through marketing and selling the coffee here and then where do those dollars go once we sell it here well they go back into that community and back into building schools and feeding families and providing jobs uh, and so I think, uh, yeah, that that was certainly the most impactful experience of my life, that time spent in Haiti and and also just a hell of a lot of fun, you know? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Was, and a lesson yeah. to do those things, you know, at that age, especially that, uh, you know, there isn't anything saying at that point in our lives that we can't do anything. And there are so many opportunities that we pass by because we think we're supposed to be doing it a certain way. And at that age of our life and that stage of our life, go do it, travel, experience a different culture. It is truly life-changing and character building. So I wanted to make sure we talked about that. You know, and I will we'll obviously get to um, family connections to the industry, right? But um, I, I really had no real interest in the equine industry or the horse industry or horses in general. And at the time was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to be and what I was going to do and and you know, dad had, uh, speaking of Zoetis, you know, dad had hooked up with an internship at Fort Dodge for the summer through a mutual connection of ours, Jeannie Jeffrey. And I turned that down, which was, you know, if you're thinking about it as somebody whose entire career, I want to be in the equine industry, that was the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. But passing on that and going and getting that outside experience, I think broadened my perspective to the point where once I got back into this industry and want to be here, I have that greater experience from from doing something that was crazy. And honestly, it even a, so far as like, there are very few things that are going to ruin my day, right? There's nothing, nothing in this job is life or death, right? We yeah. were, there weren't many, but there were certainly life or death decisions in Haiti. Uh, and, yes. and so that it's just great perspective, right? I think use that time when you're young. I don't say go out and travel and throw the world away and be a beatnik, right? But um, certainly if you have an opportunity like that, I say, take it, always take it. Yes. Ah, absolutely. And I love the word perspective in that regard, because you're right. I came home and I was like, I will never, ever say that I need anything again. I will never, I can't imagine in this land of plenty of the United States of America needing water. Mm -hmm. Needing food. I just want things. <laughs> Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. I just want things. Yeah. And want and them now. 
Yes. And we want them now. And so, yeah, the perspective that you gain is incredible. Okay. So let's jump into the family side because I did have to chuckle. As you said, you wanted no parts of the equine industry. And obviously if our guest listeners do not know at this point, Alex Riddle, you are the son of Dr. Tom Riddle. And you have a family that is not just a little involved in the equine industry. You are the equine industry, right? Like there's just so many aspects of your family, your sister, your brother-in-law, your dad, your mom. And I, as I let you tell that story, I just also have to say, I think for any of us that have been in and around central Kentucky, there's no greater standard of excellence than your dad. And there's no one, no family that is kinder and more well-respected than your parents, you know, to see your parents, to experience your parents. I just, oh my gosh, you know, so you came up through that and said no equine, no equine, but that, but now here you are. So let's talk about the early stages of that and the transition in. Yeah. I mean, so growing up, right. I mean, the only reason that we exist is my mom and dad both moved here. My mom from Virginia, my dad from South Carolina uh, to take jobs on a horse farm. And they ended up at the same horse farm and they were introduced through mutual friends. And But horses really are the reason my family exists. Um, you know, my dad grew up riding saddlebreds in South Carolina. Uh, his dad was a veterinarian who worked on horses as well. Uh, my mom grew up fox hunting and riding horses and riding hunters. And she was working, managing a, a hunter trainer barn and her boss got moved here and brought her with him. Uh, so yeah, horses very much ingrained. Uh, my whole family rode growing up, uh, mom and dad, my older sister rode at a very high level and, and showed and took, you know, five days a week, we were lessons and then weekend was shows. And, uh, and I just kind of wanted to go do Kentucky boy things, right? I wanted to play football and I wanted to play baseball and I wanted to play basketball. And I think that was uh, outside of the comfort zone of my family a little bit. Dad didn't really play sports growing up. My mom did, but not as much as riding. So for me, every time we went to the horse show or to riding lessons or whatever, it was taking me away from something I wanted to do. Uh, and I was bored out of my mind, frankly, because growing up, I think there would have been fun ways to introduce, uh, like I was a boy, right? Uh, and and I was all boy and I wanted to go do stuff and run my head through things. And, uh, and I think there would have been fun ways to introduce me to horses. Um, I don't think you know, young amateur hunters was the right way to do it. Uh, and watching no offense history. to the hunters. Right. Right? Yeah, <laughs> no, no just not the right way to introduce me to the sport. So my mom always says she wishes she had bought me a Western saddle and let me go ride Western or introduce me to polo. I didn't see a polo match until oh. I was 12, right? Oh, wow. I can see you as a polo player, Alex. I'm a little big, probably. Uh, I think I'd run through those ponies pretty quick, but it's, I would have fun. It would be fun. Yeah. But yeah. So I just never saw, you know, we were busy. Dad was busy. We had, I'm one of yeah. three kids and there was always something going on. So we just never, we saw what we saw. So we saw my dad doing reproduction work uh, on horses and I knew I didn't want to do that. We saw my sister riding hunters and my parents going on long, slow trail rides around the backfield. I knew I didn't want to do that. What I did want to do was go play baseball with my friends. And so that uh, that kind of became 
the horse industry became this, like, I have to get away from it to have fun and to go do what I want to do. So yeah, I had no interest in the horse industry. I had no interest in being a part of it. Uh, dad did a very good job of not making us feel pressured to go into it. We never, we didn't know Rune Riddle was a, th a thing, right? Rune Riddle was a little clinic, you know? Um, I remember we ate a lot of spaghetti when we were kids because, you know, we had, we were making payroll and things like that. So not that we had it bad, but I, you know, it wasn't what it is today. And we certainly didn't know what it was. So to me, it just made sense to go pursue something different. And I had kind of made it part of my ethos that I'm not the horse guy, right? In the family, I'm not the horse guy. And I talked my little brother out of riding horses because I told him it was dumb. And, you know, like I was the one driving us the other direction. So for me to be the one who's back in the horse industry and kind of carrying right. on the is, is funny uh, to me. But yeah, no. So I got I got a, as far away from it as I could. I mean, Haiti is about as far as you can get from the horse industry. Yes. Yeah. And so you got started and you did, you went and got, and, and I just, I know you well enough to, I feel confident in saying you have a business mind. And so whatever passion you were to find, you're just, you, you are naturally a strong business minded individual. And so though either, either way, that was where you were going to be. So not as a veterinarian necessarily, but back in the industry, but that started when you got in your dad's truck, right? Like, yeah. so all, you just decided to get in your dad's truck one day. <laughs> Is that mean, how it worked? So yeah, my wife didn't want to move to Haiti for some reason, uh, <laughs> like on her long list of growing passions. Uh, at the same time, we were going through some transitions with the company that I was working with. Um, so it was a good time. It made sense for me to be back uh, in the US. And, and as we were working through those, I was kind of halfway. We always talk, my wife and I joke about like, what were you doing for that six months? Because <laughs> I, I'd send out like three resumes a day. And then I'd watch the entire season of Sons of Anarchy, right? Or um, I, she would go to work in the morning. I would say, yeah, I've got these three meetings set up. I'm going to go meet. We were still working on some uh, USAID was still big in Haiti. So we were still working on some contracts with USAID and doing some stuff. But it was two hours a day, right? Um, and, and I just kind of sat around. And then we got towards the end of those contracts and the money was going to run out and I needed a job and dad said, Hey, I don't have an assistant for this year. You know, I'm getting ready to send out the po the job posting, but I would love for you to do it. And I think dad has a really good way. He's very wise uh, and he has a really good way of knowing what's best for us and not forcing us into it, just kind of holding it until we're ready to take it. All right. So okay. he had mentioned that a few times and I never really had any interest. And then, uh, like, you know, that would be fun. I was like, let's spend some time with dad. Also, you know, it would be nice to be able to make our house payment. Um, so let's go <laughs> get in the car. I didn't know at the time I was going to be making like $9 an hour, but either way. Right. So uh, yeah, just got in the truck with dad and um, dad, in addition to his role as a, as a repro veterinarian was also the director of marketing for Root and Riddle at the time. Um, so the assistant role kind of encompassed both of those. I was his assistant on the marketing side. Um, I have a marketing degree. That's my background. Uh, and then I was also his assistant on the repro side. Uh, and more than anything, I probably, I learned more than I realized, right? In my current role where we sell a lot of repro 
um, products and I'm working on technical copy and marketing and strategy for repro products, uh, I, uh, things just come out of my mouth and I'm like, wow, how did I know that? I'm like, oh, well, that was from the time I spent riding with dad. But more, more than that and more than being around the horses, it was I loved waking up and being on the first farm at 5 a.m. and talking to the people who truly care about the horses and are, in most cases, could be making a lot more money doing something else. But they're there because they love the horses uh, and they're there because they love the industry and they want to promote it. And that meant a lot to me. Like there was nothing that I loved that much uh, to to take a crazy pay cut to do. Uh, so the passion of those people is what got me excited about the, the industry. And then coming out of that year, it was just kind of timing thing after timing thing, right? The, the marketing director for, or the, the PR director for Rude and Riddle, gave two weeks notice two weeks before their biggest event of the year and dad was like hey you've been kind of helping me with this you've been working on this do you mind sliding into that role just temporarily it'll be a 90-day position i know this isn't what you want to do but slide in help us out so i did that and then uh ended up doing that for about a year uh and then had discovered the compounding pharmacy that rude and riddle had and kind of learn the challenges of it and learned what was going on. And that seemed like a really fun way for me to be involved in this industry, supporting the people that I really enjoyed being around and doing something different, not being a veterinarian, building a business at the same time uh, while really providing a service to these people that I kind of uh, really respected and fell in love with. So uh, yeah, that was, that was my path in. Yeah. What a story. And I think there's so many parts of that, you know, super credit to your dad, of course, and all that he teaches everyone that has a chance to spend time around him. And then you mentioned just being on the farms. And that's something that I truly respect about you, Alex, is that you have these amazing relationships with the thoroughbred farm managers and the teams on the farms. You and I have talked about that on and off over the years. That's not easy to build. Right. That's a, you know, it really requires an in and it requires a particular connection. And so that is important in what you're doing now. And I think it's probably something that you would give a great deal of credit to, but it didn't come without effort. That is a, you know, certainly a relationship that has grown through time, trust, and respect. And you know, so I like to point that out as well, because that's a very integral part of our industry. And it speaks to one of, you know, your greatest, you mentioned ethos, you know, a little bit earlier, but valuing those relational gains over all else. And that's where you and I are so, so similar. And while we may do some of those things differently, and we have a different focus, you know, oftentimes on our, you know, target client or whatever that looks like, but Value relational gains over all else is one of your leading uh, pieces of advice for young people, early career professionals, colleagues. So I think that really speaks to that. And it's hugely important. Yeah, I mean, just on, on that valuing relational gains point, like there, I think it shouldn't, it shouldn't be transactional, right? It's not because you want something out of that person. I think it's like, I truly value, like I'm, 
so blown away that people want to be friends with me or they want to follow up and grab a beer. And that, that means so much to me, uh, that to me in every role that I've had, the goal has been, all right, I have to take care of these people, right? That's the, that's the goal. So there, there are decisions that you make in the short term that might not be great for your career or what you're doing because you know it's what's best for the customer right uh, and i think you know the the easy uh example of that is just you know i'm fifty thousand dollars away from hitting a quota i know i could go shove fifty thousand dollars worth of this product down this customer's throat because they trust me but i know they don't need it and that's why they trust me is because i'm not going to go shove fifty thousand dollars down their throat um so being willing to to miss a number or move things around because you know it's what's right for the client uh and, and what's right for i i truly believe you know these and and maybe they would disagree maybe i'm just a transaction to them but uh, i truly believe these people are my friends right and that's why the equine industry is what I want to support, right? And and you and I have both had opportunities in companion animal or livestock or other areas that would have been great quote unquote career moves, but I just don't care. That would be a job. You know, right. these are my friends. I like supporting my friends uh, and I like learning what will help them. And I like, you know, I, I like being around them. Uh, yes. And I think that's so important. Oh, I do too. I love that. The career ladder is changing rapidly and it is just no longer a single fold vertical ladder and making the choices that we make to do what we are passionate about doing to do what we discover. And that can change. I often say we, you know, we've had multiple dream jobs and I know you have also, it can change, but it is just not a traditional vertical climb just to say, I'm getting this title and this is the next title. Right. You know, that's just not what it is anymore. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, I mean, I think it's hard for all of us and it's certainly hard for me. Yeah. I, I am a competitive person. I want to grow and be the best. And I want people to look at my resume and be like, wow, that he did that at what age. But at a certain point, I also don't want it to feel like a job, right? This, this feels like a job 38% of the time, you know? And, and I think that's, that's about as good as it gets. Right. Yes. I think you, love what you do 60 to 70 percent of the time and that's that's the perfect job the rest of it there's always going to be a job component if i were to go and sell flea and tick no offense to those people who love selling flea and tick i would be that would be a job 95 percent of the time you know? yes yes so. my brother and i have that conversation because he's in computer software sales artificial i don't know what he, i don't know what he does something like that but i'm like i wouldn't even get out of bed in the morning he's like jody you can make so much more money He's right. like, you know what you're doing? You can make so much more money. And I'm like, I, I don't think yeah. I'd get out of bed. Yeah, it'd be a job, right? We, I think that is probably one of the reasons other than just general ADD that we do all the stuff that we do personally. And my wife and I do all the businesses and things that we do is I want, I don't ever want to feel like I'm passing up on, or, or I'm taking an opportunity because I can go make more money there. Right. I want to be taking these opportunities because they're the right opportunity for me to really be happy and be in the career that I want to be in. And, and if I, can make the money personally outside of it through smart investments and development, then let's do it that way. And that way I can really pursue this career and do what I want to do. Yes. 
Amen to that. All right. Well, you've referenced Emily a couple of times. And so I'm going to take a programming break, if you will, here. Let's talk about your amazing wife and your awesome son and all that you do in Versailles and Woodford County. So you mentioned some of those projects. I often refer to you as the mayor of Versailles, which maybe one day you'll run for. I would vote for you. I'm not a Woodford County resident, but whatever. So talk a little bit about a few of these passion projects, if you can. Yeah, well, first things first, I think it's important to say I'm not running for mayor of Versailles. <laughs> <laughs> that guy works a lot harder than I do. Uh, and he uh, he has to check comment sections on Facebook, which I'm very much against. Um, so he... <laughs> Yeah, he can do that job all day. He's a good friend. I love the guy. He's golden. Um, the uh, Yeah, my wife and I have been, we were high school sweethearts, so we've been dating since uh, junior year of high school. Um, went all the way through college, no breaks. One of the rare groups or one of the rare couples that made it all the way through with no breaks. Got married young, straight out of college. Um, very happy. Uh, moved back to Versailles a few years ago um, because we were looking for a little bit more land. Um, also found a perfect opportunity. That's another one of those things about dad knowing what's best for us uh, and just kind of seeding it in, right? We were looking for a farm and my dad knew I was not ready for a farm because I don't even mow my own grass. And <laughs> he, uh, he sent me a house in downtown Versailles, a historic home on Main Street. And I was like, dad, it's nothing that we're looking for, right? It's on one acre. We want five to 10 um, at the minimum. Uh, it's, it needs, you know, it doesn't even have floors. Uh, we're not going to be able to figure out the financing on it. All this, You're like, yeah, maybe just take a look. Maybe just let's drive by it. Uh, so we drove by and peeked in, and it has uh, has three fireplaces, and one of them is in the kitchen. And I was just in love with that, uh, peeking through the windows. So we set up a time and fell in love with the house. And he was right; this was the perfect house for us for now. And then spent again. It didn't have floors in it. Uh, the plumbing was had to be all redone. The electric, you know, it was a full gut. Uh, renovation of a historic home and that really kind of launched Emily my wife is an interior decorator by trade and and had a vintage store and kind of has a similar entrepreneurial mindset um and that really launched her brand on social media right and that allowed her to grow pretty rapidly on Instagram and and it got her a lot of eyes uh, to her blog as she was blogging about our home renovation and we kind of hit it right in that perfect time when HGTV was just blowing up um pre Chip and Joanna right as they were getting ready to become a thing right um and so it was just this time where there was a there was a shortage of that kind of content and we really hit a, a good vein and she's incredibly good at what she does both on the decorating side and on the content creation side so she developed this brand and um once we finished that renovation we really enjoyed the process which i think most people don't right and and we enjoyed the process together which i think most people don't <laughs> uh, and uh and i brought us closer together we really had a blast doing it together uh and so we started looking at different real estate opportunities and uh there was a building in downtown versailles and it went up for sale uh well it had been for sale that price got cut overnight and i put an offer in without us ever having seen it and didn't even tell her that i had put an offer in and we got it and 
made that kind of our first business. Uh, and, and she put a coffee shop and a mercantile in it, a uh, little retail store. We opened a bourbon bar that we've since sold to our partners and they're operating it at a much higher level than we could have. Uh, and then we have some tenants in there that are first time business owners. Uh, and so that really got us excited about, okay, there's all this available real estate in downtown Versailles. How can we work with people, you know, people are scared to buy a building, but we made it easy. We realized it was a lot easier for people to commit to a one-year lease in a 500 square foot retail space. And we were able to provide that service um, because Emily's marketing and branding engine behind it drove people in. So some friends, um, uh, we bought another three buildings and put a wedding venue and a pizza place and uh, little and have a tenant that's a great ice cream shop and then just kind of kept growing from there. So that's, uh, yeah. yeah, that's the Versailles connection. The next big project is a hotel um, with a distillery and a restaurant and a rooftop bar. Uh, and that should be finished in July of this year. Um, so that's been fun. And then you know, a training center for standard breads just to kind of tie it all together uh, and all of it within a half a mile of itself. So, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I love it. And, you know, you you did say just how good Emily is at all that she does. And so it, she's amazing. And I love following her as well. So everyone needs to make sure they're following all that you're doing in Versailles and Gathered Living is, I think, her handle on most socials. Uh, but you have really been a leader of, you know, a younger generation stepping into the opportunity of such a beautiful place as Versailles, that downtown revitalizing a downtown area. So I think those projects are just so cool and really complement, you know, who you are, not only as Alex Riddle, who is the director of marketing for DECRA currently, you know, and you're involved in the equine industry, certainly, but you and Emily and what you're doing for your community. So I wanted to make sure, you know, we shared that. It's not something like, I don't know, it's not a second job, right? And I think that's the important thing that Emily and I have that probably a lot of other people wouldn't is we're able, uh, we're able to see it as fun, right? It's our hobby. We love to do it together. Uh, and so that's where uh, I have a real estate partner who is phenomenal at all the things that I'm not phenomenal at. Uh, and, and I'm really, I get to be just kind of visionary and take crazy chances. And then he makes sure all the finances work and puts them all in a spreadsheet and does all that and tracks everything along to the nth degree. And then Emily fills it up with people after she makes it beautiful. Right. That's kind of, it's a perfect three headed monster right now. Yes. Uh, and so for me, it doesn't really take me away from any sort of work thing. It's like it adds, right? Everything that we do there, I'm learning from, I'm able to add that to what I do on a daily basis in the equine industry. Uh, and and yeah, in my current role on the on the equine marketing side for Decra, it's it, it's learning from all these fun things that we're doing that are a little bit more consumer facing. How do we take that consumer facing branding and bring it into what we do every day? And how do we make a veterinarian feel comfortable? And even as a sales rep, I can't tell you how little I talked about product with people, right? I went in and they wanted to ask me about, hey, how's that project going in for sales? Hey, what's this? And they knew that I was also a business owner. So I'm talking to veterinarians who are typically small business owners. 
about staffing challenges or about making ends meet or marketing challenges or whatever it was. And we were sharing the same challenges. And I think that made me a much more compelling sales rep than just a sales rep who learned what the company I work for told me to tell them. Right. I think I was experiencing a lot of the same challenges that they were on a daily basis. So we could really relate. Uh, And they, they trusted my advice at that point. I love it. You and I absolutely agree on that, right? Is that we can be technically sound and, but I will not ever be the rep that could, you know, completely report on the product insert. I will not remember all the data. I can get you the data and I can answer those questions and I can get you in touch with the people that can absolutely know the data inside and out. But when it comes down to it, I, and I always say this, this way, I'm a people, people, I belong with people. And that is to your point, like being able to have those business conversations, being an advisor or or a consultant, for me, I naturally always gravitated toward the personnel side, right? And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's the people, it's the ability, the challenge that they have to hire people and to keep people and to build culture. And it is absolutely those relationships and the partnerships that you build, because I've heard you also say, and I know one of the pieces of advice you like to share is support the people who want to support you. So Mm -hmm. that goes both ways, right? We, you know, support the people that you want to support you and support the people that do support you. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, It can, it can be said with commas in different places, but. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, I don't know. And something that I watched you do a lot, right. Is coming in and having business level conversations. And that was something that I really, um, I was jealous of in previous roles, right. And in previous roles with companies that had smaller product portfolios and things like that, you know, spending $5,000 a year with me is not going to make or break your business. We're not having business level conversations, right. We're talking about this product and how you can use this product to help a horse. Um, with your role at Zoetis, you know, companies are spending substantial amounts of money and basing a wellness portfolio or basing their wellness program around your portfolio. Now you're truly having business conversations. And that was something that I was always jealous of. And probably one of the big reasons I decided to try to follow you into that role uh, was getting to have those business level conversations and, and all that. And I think it just worked out naturally that I had this business background coming in from these side projects that were a little bit ADD fueled and a little bit fun thing to do with my wife fueled and and a little bit, I want to make sure that I can do this job however I think is the right way to do it. And if they fire me because of it, that's fine. I have a fallback fueled, right? right? Like I think yes. that it, it was multifaceted. I'm good at my job when I'm not scared to lose my job. That's That's the best way I think to approach a job, any job for me. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's the decision that we make is because I remember, you know, as you get confident and comfortable in what you're doing, and especially we all know Jody doesn't like a lot of rules. And so if, if they want to share rules and I just remember repeating probably more often than I should have fire me when I am doing what I believe to be right. I mean, you know, in my heart and in my spirit, I can tell you, this is the right thing to do. And, and they're like, Jody, did you ask? No, I didn't ask permission. I asked for forgiveness if I need to. So um, I, I do. I think that that is important. Those are important confidences to grow. And they only come with experience that teaches you, teaches you something. You've got to keep learning. 
Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, you and I talked about it before I, I made this jump back to Decra and into the role that I'm in now. And I think one of the fun things, and I've learned it even more so since being back, is what I appreciated so much about the culture at Decra is that's just how it is across the board, right? We we had, and, and I can't even remember, maybe we haven't decided what to call it yet, but this advisory committee it used to be called the senior management retreat but there's people there that aren't managers because they're smart and they're good at what they do right and so it's very flat and and we all are, are we're all empowered to go out and make decisions on our own uh, and we know that we're going to be supported by our leadership in that right i made a decision that in hindsight was a very bad one uh, and i think in a lot of companies my tenure would have been very short and and i had the full support of my leadership because they knew i made it with the best intentions if you don't swing hard, you never hit home runs. Uh, so sometimes you swing and miss and let's move on and let's not do that again. And let's learn from it. And I think we all have enough respect for each other that we're able to do that. And, and that's the fun thing is here we can operate without fear of losing our job. Right. Yes. I is probably and not that this is a commercial for Decker in any way, but the, that is probably why I was so drawn to come back and why it's such a dynamic company and why it has the growth numbers that it has is because we're all empowered to act like that. And, yes. and it's our job in management roles now is to empower our people to act like that and not put our foot on them because that's when you start to lose that, that dynamic company. Yes. Amen to that. And you know, like you're singing, a, you're singing my song when you start, you know, talking about being fulfilled and being empowered, you know, the Jody Speaks Life, living, inspired, fulfilled, and empowered, right? Like being inspired and inspiring others because we care about them and we care about the industry. And then being fulfilled really comes from serving others in some way. I, I truly believe that without service to others, service to something bigger than we are, that's where we are gaining fulfillment and you know then we are empowered by feeling that we can lead others and we can make decisions and we can be authentic and so i think those are just you know again that's the kind of things you ask and learn and and aspire to as you search out culture and where you want to be and the people that you want to spend time with and those kinds of things so um, Alex, one of the other pieces of advice I want you to talk to us about, because I think that it, you know, like leads right in from your conversation is that you tell us to craft the life you want over time, that nobody has their dream life right now. And if you did, the rest would be boring. This, I'm, I mean, this is going to be like the title of this podcast, probably, because you know me, I highlighted and underlined that you said to me, you craft the life you want over time. No one has their dream life right now. And if you did, the rest would be boring. Tell us more. <laughs> Maybe again, it could just be my ADD or some sort of deep-seated uh, anxiety or, or lack of confidence. But I think, I don't know, every day is different, right? And we grow every day. And that's, that's the goal. I know too many people that got their dream job and stopped and they weren't happy. Right. And I think you and I have both been in that, right. We've both been in a position where we felt like, Hey, I got everything I want. I'm good at this. I'm doing this over and over again. Uh, and I, it's still not the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we're supposed to grow until we die. Yes. And I, I, I don't know in this like self-help podcasty, 
crazy culture. I think that's something that people say a lot without actually knowing what it means. And to me, I think, you know, some days are hard, right? I mean, and some days I am very unsure of making a decision that I made three days ago. And I think this is really stupid. Why did I put myself in this position? But that's the fun of it, right? If we're not the, you know, so we have this little coffee shop, right? (laughs) And it was the first business that my wife and I ever opened together. And it is a, what is it? 12 seat coffee shop in downtown Versailles, Kentucky, a town of 12,000 people. Uh, And it's so much work, right? It's so much work. And there are days when it's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to make payroll? What are we going to, and it, we don't take a dime out of it, right? Like we, we use that to help us fuel other business. If we have a good year, if we have a bad year, it breaks even and it's great. But like the fun, it wouldn't be fun if it wasn't a struggle, right? Like what's the fun of just like everything you do turns to gold every day, right? Like it's, it's fun to have these daily struggles. And that's, I think how you craft that life that you want over time, right? Nobody, gets the job they want and is immediately happy. Yes. You have to realize or tell yourself or lie to yourself. Maybe, I don't know, lie to yourself and tell yourself that like the fun is in that daily struggle. And it's not like the wake up and go to the salt mines every morning. And that's the fun. That's the grind. But like, yeah, you got to wake up every morning wanting to be a little bit better. Like that's, that's fun. And there are days that you win and there's days that you lose. And if you didn't have days that you lost, the days that you wouldn't, wouldn't be fun. Right. And I don't know, it sounds so trite and stupid, but I, I truly do believe that. And I have convinced myself that that's the case. So, yeah. And I agree because, and you, you know that about me, I 100% agree. And while it does sound cliche, what I'm finding is I actually don't think that it sounds cliche, especially to our, our Gen Zers, our up and comers. When we say it is not the destination, it truly is the journey. And at the earlier we can actually learn that and learn it to the center of our soul, not just say it, the more fulfilled we will be because we have then the autonomy to make decisions about what we're doing and say, yeah, this served me and it served me beautifully. The decade that I spent with Zoetta served me beautifully. People think I was crazy to leave that, right? And sure, in some aspects, yeah. It's a, I mean, who doesn't dream of being, if you want to be in the equine industry and pharmaceutical, the equine specialist in central Kentucky with the number one animal health manufacturer, guess what? That's a dream job for a lot of people. And, and it was my dream job, but then it wasn't. And it was time for me to make my next dream job and make some other decisions. So again, I, I cheer that on. I wrote down two quotes from you already. We're supposed to grow until we die. Listeners, listen to that. We are supposed to grow until we die. Um, because I think also that if we're not growing until we die, we might end up with regrets. That's, you know, that can be where regrets come from, right? The other quote that I wrote down, Alex, is if it wouldn't be fun if it wasn't a struggle. It wouldn't be fun if it wasn't a struggle. And so that brings me really to kind of your final piece of advice. I always ask for advice, but number, uh, really it was number three for you, but no matter how you get your foot in the door, you have to work harder than everyone else to get what you want. I love talking about hard work and work ethic because that just causes World War III in some companies, you know, like, and when I say companies, I mean company of people. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, So talk about that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, right. I had a foot in the door. 
my last name was a foot in the door. My dad is very well respected. But what I learned from him more so than the foot in the door, what I got from him was the work ethic, right? My dad was out the door before we woke up almost every morning. At the same time, my dad was home in time to eat dinner every night. Uh, and I, at the time, didn't know how much that meant and uh, didn't know how much of an effort he made to do that. Now that I'm in this career and I get to see a lot of different veterinarians, I realize how big of a deal that was for us, especially during breeding season. Uh, and that didn't mean that he didn't just leave after dinner a lot of nights, right? Because there was still work to be done, but he made a point to be home with us. So we did get to see that work ethic and we got to see, and then my mom ran a 30 acre farm by herself, basically, right? So her work ethic was incredible and took us to school and raised the family and made dinner and lunch and breakfast and bread that my dad could grab on his way out the door at 4 30 in the morning and you know the work ethic was just in the family that's what everybody did so it it made sense that that is what you do you work hard and then i think you know there is always a level i think you should feel a level of insecurity if your last name is on the building of the company where you work right and you're 22 two years old and you got an opportunity that other people would have killed to have. And I always felt insecure about that. And so I made sure I was the first car in the parking lot. And most of the time was the last car to leave. And I wanted more than I wanted to work hard and do a good job. I wanted everybody to know I was working hard and doing a good job. And I think that insecurity fueled a real work ethic, right? So at first it was a show and then it fueled a real work ethic of being in the door, getting things done and being good at your job, right? I think you just have to find stuff that you're good at. Uh, and, and frankly, I was good at it. Uh, and that's that's a, that's a huge thing, right? That helps you work even harder. I, I wish I could remember the book I went through. I mean, I think I've read, I have 300 titles on Audible now because I was on the road all the time as a sales rep. But one of the books talked about it is so much easier to work hard if you're also good at it, right? You can go into a job and you can work really hard. And if you're never good at it, you're going to burn out. But if you work really hard and you feel like you're getting better every time and you are and you end up being good at it, then it's going to fuel you to work even harder. And that's kind of where, you know, I had to fire somebody pretty early on in my career and that was really hard, but it made it a lot easier that that person went on to thrive in a totally different career, right? They were just in the wrong spot. And yes. that, has, that has led me to, it's not as hard for me. Like I still hate letting somebody go, but it's not as hard now because I know that they're going to find what's right for them. If we gave them every opportunity to excel and this isn't, they're just not good at this, then they'll go find something that they're good at. And that's one of the things about big companies and HR departments and not being able to tell people why, you know, they always want you to just downsize a position or, hey, your position's being eliminated. And that's really hard for me. And frankly, I think I probably uh, have have potentially caused some problems in the past because I want to tell people, hey, this is what you're really good at. This is what you're not. In this role, I need these things that you're not good at. Go pursue the things that you are good at. And, you know, if it's being a yoga instructor, that might not be the best career choice, right? Like maybe find something in between that pays bills and then be a yoga instructor on the side, right? Yes. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't even remember how we got on this tangent. Oh, my, yeah, foot in the door. And then you have to still work hard, right? Yeah. You never stop working hard. And if you have a door open for you because of a last name or a connection, exploit that, exploit the hell out of that, but then right. go as hard as you possibly Work. can. Yeah. 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 
change the world. Go change the world. I love it. I know that we could talk for hours, Alex. I'm always so inspired by you. But uh, as we wrap up, I always like to ask a couple of questions for our listeners. Um, so the takeaways today, I would like to know if you've got a favorite book or podcast that you would recommend to the Thriving Equine Professional listeners, which I call Thrivers. Yes. So I thought a lot about this one. And are we allowed curse? Because the title of the book has a curse word in it. Uh, go for it. All right. So Who are you uh, talking the to argument. here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know. We haven't. Uh, you haven't said anything. I've been tempering myself. Uh, the uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Oh uh, yeah, good one. It's one of my favorites. Uh, and then Titan, uh, which is the John D. Rockefeller biography by Ron Chernow. Um, I I listen to and or read that about once a year. Really? Okay. Yeah. Visionary. You know, obviously there's mixed reviews on the ethics of John D. Rockefeller, uh, but he just the vision behind what he built, whether you agree with it or not, or think it should have happened or not. Titan kind of goes through all that uh, and and how he did it and how he set it up. And um, so, yeah, I think it's one of the best books ever written. Awesome. Okay. I will drop that in the show notes for our listeners. So they have links to both of those and I'll be picking up Titan for sure. Cause I haven't read that one. So that sounds right up my alley. 31 hour audio book. It's a, it's a commitment. Oh, it's a, gotta, it's a big one. Want, okay. All right. I can do it. I'm actually reading less books this year. I read so many books last year, but one of my goals for this year is to actually read less books in general, but to read more meaningful, significant books, you know, like that are really, really growing me. Mm -hmm. um, so, all right, enough about me, enough about me. My second question for you is we talk and we haven't talked a lot about this in our podcast here today, but we talk a lot about life balance. And I think that as our listeners continue to hear um, the term that I won't repeat, you know, being the two word, it's literally life balance for me. You know, your work is a part of your life. Is there any advice that you would share with our listeners related to life balance? You are a husband, you are a dad, you are a son and a brother and all of those things. You're a business owner and you are a leader at an equine, a strong equine industry brand at Decra. So what's your advice on life balance, Alex? Yeah, I don't know if I'm the best person because <laughs> it's always just kind of been natural to me, right? Yeah. I think I, I genuinely love and enjoy being around my wife and my son. And uh, so it's always just kind of been natural that I want to come home and pick up my son and, and be a part of life. This is the first job I've had in my career where I could work 20 hour days if I wanted to. Uh, and every single day could be a 20 hour day and I could work every weekend and I could be on the road all the time. Uh, and so this is the first career, the first job I've had in my career where I've had to intentionally set aside time for family and for balance. For me, I'm still growing in that, right? I, I do spend a lot of time with my family. I, I I get around it by I try to get up earlier than everybody and get a lot of work done in the morning before everybody wakes up. Uh, and because my company is based uh, on a different time zone than I am, I'm able to get up get a lot of work done. And then I have a couple of hours before anybody else wakes up in my company. And I can spend that with my son and with my wife or at the gym or whatever it is. 
so uh, to me, work-life balance just means you sleep less. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you cut out. I, I, I wish I could remember. Uh, it was actually a finance book and it was about how do people, how did this guy who has the same job that I have afford to drive that really nice car? Well, it's because he lives in a crappy apartment. He just values his car more than his apartment. I think you have to pick the things you really value and not do everything, right? Yes. I don't see, I have five friends, right? Five really close friends that I see a lot. Uh, and then I have a lot of people that I really enjoy and I love grabbing a drink with, but that happens infrequently, right? Correct. And so it's, it's picking what you value. We don't go to sporting events. I don't watch shows, right? We don't have like, what's the new show that you're watching? That's not something we do. We don't go to movies. Like these are like, I just don't value those things, right? right. I value the time with my family. I value my career. Uh, you can't really tell by looking at me, but I value time in the gym. I like, those are the things that I value. And then everything else is superfluous and it's fun when it happens, but it's, it's superfluous. So I think pick the three or four things that you truly value and make time for them. Yep. Make time. That's it. Right. We all have the same 24 hours. Pick it, own it, own your time. I love it. Alex, so much wisdom. I appreciate you so much popping on and spending your time with us today to share your story, because again, we are all here to continue to grow and thrive in the equine industry. And I know that we are all just learning from one another. So as we continue to drive people and grow these connections, I will say that if someone wants to reach out to you, you have both LinkedIn and then you do, you're on Instagram, right? But I, I try and just send everybody LinkedIn is usually, you know, kind of my first stop. So I know you're there, right? I am there. I am there. I couldn't tell you what the link is or how to get there, but I am there. They they can just search Alex Riddle. hundred percent. Speaking of other <laughs> things, I'm not great at valuing, but I, I am on there. I do check in from time to time. So feel free to reach out and yeah, happy to help however I can. I, I think it's important to note that wicked imposter syndrome, I think is very valuable. So all of this quote unquote wisdom that you're hearing is just the ramblings of somebody who's right in the middle of, you know, what we're all in the middle of, right? Yes. Figuring it out every day as we go. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, thank you, Alex. Always a pleasure. And I will look forward to our next cocktail together so that we can catch up on life. And with that, Thrivers, have an amazing day and we will see you back here same time next week. Cheers. Thank you. Thriver, I hope this episode inspired and empowered you to keep growing. If so, I'd be so grateful if you hit that share button and send it to your tribe so they can thrive too. And while you're there, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so everyone can find the show. I love to know what keeps you listening, especially if I'm at the barn with you. I'll meet you back here same time next week. Cheers, Jody.